the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS on air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS on air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, delighted to be with you here on 930 AM, The Answer. Carol Zerniel on special assignment today, and we have the pleasure of being joined by Peaches Hall. Peaches has a long and checkered history working in the uh, mostly the senior field, ran memory units in Florida and here in San Antonio, and is the uh, head of the uh, senior center over on uh, 410 and not Culebra, 410 and Ingram, Ingram. Mm-hmm. where she uh, not only runs the organization, but conducts all kinds of training classes and exercise classes and fitness programs. Yes, I'm happy to be here, and I'm so thrilled every morning to go to work at Doris Griffin Center. That's cool. Doris Griffin, uh, just knowing her is a thrill. It, she's a rock star. She's amazing. Yeah. Well, we've got a special guest joining us now, uh, Jay Nelson, who... Uh, has a long and distinguished uh, career in broadcasting, public television, has been an executive producer for uh, lots of hours of television programs. We were talking off the air about an incredible series that uh, he was involved in for the Big Ten Network. Uh, unfortunately, we're not talking about that today, but uh, we'll, we'll touch on that briefly. The Legacy Project is uh, what attracted us uh, to Jay Nelson, and we're delighted to have him join us on the Caregiver SOS On Air Hotline. So, Jay, welcome and delighted to be with you. And you spent a lot of time working in the uh, trenches of public television. I have. And thanks uh, again for inviting me. I'm happy to be here as well. Uh, yeah, I've uh, spent most of my career in public television, 20-some years, I suppose. I worked there as, in different positions, worked my way up through the production ranks. And 10 years as uh, the, the vice president of production at Detroit Public Television and two years as the station manager for University of Michigan's public television station in uh, Flint, Michigan. Sorry to mention that to a Buckeye grad, but there it is. Well, there you are. Well, I worked uh, for, for a brief period for WOSU, the Ohio State University public radio station, and so uh, in some ways we've labored in the same fields. Yes, we have. Um, from very two very, very different institutions. Who do respect each other. <laughs> yes, exactly. Other than that one Saturday in November. <laughs> Yes, exactly. You can lose I have a lot of Buckeye friends, so it's, it's not all that unusual. <laughs> well, it's like A and M and Texas used to be. They don't play each other anymore. But uh, back in the old days, for those who aren't aware of the rivalry between the Ohio State University and that school up north, that's an incredible <laughs> rivalry. It is. It's, it is. It has been for a long time. Well, you're involved in a project which has echoes of uh, Public Radio's StoryCorps project. It's interesting that you say that because that's uh, one of the first reactions that we get. And that was a part of our inspiration. We had both uh, my business partner uh, who who came up with the idea of legacies originally, and then the two of us worked together to create the the model and the program. Uh, He and I were both fans of StoryCorps. And in a way, what we we hope someday with legacies is we might be a you know, television, public television, specifically uh, what StoryCorps is to public radio. Now, for the few who don't know, for for those who don't know, uh, StoryCorps involves uh, uh, folks sitting down in a little radio studio and sharing pieces of their lives. Often it's a husband and wife or a son and daughter and and the dad or the mom is there, and they uh, share things that uh, become very intimate and very personal. And, that there, and, that's, and that's why we like it, too. There are key differences, though. We, of course, are doing video rather than radio. And the other thing is is that we are specifically intergenerational. StoryCorps, like you said, it could, I mean, you and I could go into a booth and interview each other. But this is specifically people, young people in either 
juniors or seniors in high school or college age uh, students who are interviewing senior citizens in their communities. So it's specifically intergenerational, and it's also a, a top-to-bottom inclusive life review. We start with earliest possible memories and have an uh, interview template that goes right up to present day. So um, it's, it's a little bit, it's, it's different in those senses. And is it more than talking heads? Are you able to incorporate any B-roll, any uh, of their yeah, lives it, and video? We sure do. Um, one of the things that we do is, as part of our project design is we, first of all, we purposely set it up so that the interview would take more than one visit to get through because the um, real goal for us is to build relationships between young people and senior citizens. So we specifically set it up so there would be three or four interviews so people would have a chance for relationships to build. And in fact, our first meeting between the seniors and the students, we specified no cameras. That's the time for the seniors and the students to kind of get to know each other as people before the work begins. And then once the interviews start, then the students do the top to bottom life review that we I just uh, mentioned. But then at, at the students, then we, we have them take some aspect of the seniors' life that they found interesting. And it could be anything. We, we don't specify that to, that to them because we know to work on something like this, if you're interested in what you're working on, it's a lot easier than if you're not. So uh, they choose something, and then they do the research on that. They come up with the questions, which we bet, and then they do a single-topic interview with the, um, the seniors, and most of that is what ends up being in their stories. And then uh, after they start editing, we have them come up with a list of things that they might want to include in their stories, family photos or documents or you know, induction papers or whatever they might be. And then we have what we call a scanning party where we have scanners set up in the room, set up in the room, and seniors bring in all of their, the things that the students wanted to include, and the students then can then scan them while they wait, um, part, partly because we don't want to risk losing or damaging any, you know, precious artifacts, but also it gives the students and the chance, uh, and the seniors a chance to reconnect another time just to chat before um, they see each other again at the community screening. At the, well, it's a, at the it's a great idea. I want to find out more about it in a moment. But for those who may have just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM. The Answer, I'm Ron Aaron. Along with our co-host today, filling in for Carol Zerniel, is our buddy Peaches Hall. And on our Caregiver SOS on our hotline, Jay Nelson, talking about his legacies project, which has been mostly in the Detroit, Michigan area. But you have plans do you not to begin expanding it? We do. Uh, we were now just about to start our seventh year at Skyline High School in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And uh, that's been a really good partnership, and the teacher there has really helped us work a lot of the, and make a lot of improvements in our project design as we have gone along. We're always trying to make it better. Uh, but we are now looking to expand to a couple more schools, first here in Michigan, and then use that as a template for uh, how we might be, be able to roll it out to a, a broader um, you know, more schools, but we actually designed it from the get-go so that it would be malleable and it could fit into a lot of different types of situations. We've done it as a college class. Uh, we've now done it, uh, this will be our seventh year in a high school class as a summer internship and as a video day camp. So we set it up so because I was at Detroit on uh, public television, we did a lot of work, outreach work uh, back when I was there. And so I saw firsthand, and, we, you know, we went through all those trials and errors on how to build effective community outreach campaigns. So one of the things I realized from that experience was the, the more malleable and the more different situations that we could fit into and uh, keep it as, as low a cost as we possibly could, then the better success we'll have going forward. Do me a favor, for those who are listening or who are understanding what you're saying but are curious about uh, some of the segments that, that have been produced, there are probably some that really stand out in your mind, interesting people, interesting stories. Can you share some of the vi- vignettes with us? Yes. Uh, well, one of the ones that was a big uh, one for us, and probably one of the biggest ones we've had today, was Congressman John Dingell, who, um, politics aside, he is the longest-serving member of uh, Congress in U.S. history. Longest time a, a House seat has been in the same family in U.S. history. His dad was a congressman. He's a congressman, not his wife, Debbie Dingell, is that same uh, House seat. And uh, so the students got a chance to interview him, and it was really because of his wife. We had invited his wife, Debbie, to 
Congresswoman Dingell to one of our screenings, and she just fell in love with the project. So committed her husband, and she told us that, you know, journalists had been asking him to do, you know, a life review like we were doing, but he wouldn't do it. But she said he'd do it for students, and in fact, he did. Wow. Um, so one of the great experiences I had is I'm a big history geek, and uh, when I was talking to him, one of the things I didn't know about Congressman Dingell was that he was a page um, in the House when his dad was a, a congressman, <clears throat> and he was on the House floor when... Um, Franklin Roosevelt gave his Day of Infamy speech. Unbelievable. And he shook Franklin Roosevelt's hand. So if I'm shaking his hand, I'm thinking I'm shaking the hand of a guy who shook Franklin Roosevelt's hand. Mm. So that that was kind of a great one for me, too. And um, we've also had, uh, we're slowly but surely um, building a a history of uh, uh, Ann Arbor's uh, political history. Uh, we've had some Congress people on, uh, or some council people on, a mayor, and uh, some state and uh, house, state house representatives have also been part of our project. So, are, are you the selecting ones, them? One of the they, ones that was uh, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Are you selecting them, or are they coming to you? And and no. One, one of the things we do, it's all voluntary. We do go out and recruit people and mm-hmm. see if they're interested. But uh, one of the stipulations that we had going in is that every part of this has to be voluntary. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's partly to, to go with, because technically uh, you could call, say what we're doing um, is human subjects research. So we use um, institutional review board protocols, even though we're not obligated to. <clears throat> so uh, every aspect of it is voluntary. If the seniors don't want to answer a question, then they don't have to. So they have a choice all the way through. Um, but one of them, you, you might not like this one, Ron, but... Uh, one of the ones we had was a fellow by the name of Bob Chapia, who was a University of Michigan football grade under uh, Fritz Chrysler, and he was part of the Mad Magician back in the 40s, and was a famous guy. He was on life, the cover of time in life when he was in college, and you know, a very famous football player. So we did him. He was at uh, Glacier Hills in Ann Arbor, and one of our, he was part of our corporate internship. One of our students interviewed him, and the interview, the segment he ended up putting together from the interview, had nothing to do with his football career. Instead, it was about a uh, an experience that Mr. Chappies had during World War II when he was in a bomber, part of a bomber crew that had been shot down over Italy, and was held uh, hidden in a uh, attic by a partisan family to keep him away from the Germans. And uh, he told this whole story. It was a pretty hair-raising story. And um, it ended up that when Mr. Chappies died a few years later, the New York Times obituary writer was looking for some information on him. He Googled Mr. Chappies, and this young man's, the 16-year-old young man's story came up from the Legacies Project. And, and then Mr. Chappies' obituary in the New York Times ended up being headlined about his experience in World War II. Uh, of course, I mentioned his football career, but a lot of it was uh, information that he had gleaned from this interview that he had done. That's pretty cool. Stay, right. stay with us just a minute. We're going to come back to you, do a little business at our end, talking with Jay Nelson, Legacies Project. And when you think about uh, that story, uh, I'm sure there are lots of others that are going to come out of the Legacy Project. Uh, lots of folks who had those experiences uh, during World War II and Korea and Vietnam uh, never really talked about them very much in public or with their families. So uh, this project can uncover some amazing information about folks uh, who you think of as just your friends and neighbors. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Peaches Hall, filling in for Carol Zerniel on Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it, but with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But that. I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff, we come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. 
on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And immediately following WellMed Radio, we come to you with Caregiver SOS on air, 6 o'clock Sunday afternoons, all on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Peaches Hall, filling in today for Carol Zerniel, who is on special assignment, having an amazing conversation with Jay Nelson. Uh, he and his colleague have founded uh, the Legacies Project. They have a nonprofit company, Nice Work Public Media, uh, which helps put that program together. And Jay is talking to us about uh, how it works. And uh, off air, Jay, Peaches had a great question, and she's going to toss it your way. I'd like okay. for you to share with us what kind of walls came down for the students. I'm sure many of them went in there thinking differently than they walked away. And what maybe that impact into the seven years that you've been doing this that you see has made a change in their life going forward for the young ones? Stereotypes about seniors, for yeah. example. Yeah, that, that's a great question. Uh, it, one of the things that we did uh, is early on, we, as a, as a way for evaluating our, the, whether the effectiveness of our program, is we had students, when they were first learning how to do cameras and interviewing, we were training them in interviewing techniques and audio techniques, we had them practice by interviewing each other about what they would, what their expectations were for the project. And at first, but, you know, the first times we did it, they were like, oh, man, I don't know. Are they going to smell? Are they going to get in my face? I mean, what's this going to be like? And and after the first couple of years of Skyline, word, the buzz started forming within the school, and we now have gone from one classroom to two full classrooms because the, the Legacies Project has actually attracted young people to high school students to this communications media and public policy magnet program that we're part of. So there's been a big sea change because people, the, the students have had such a positive experience with it. But one little anecdote was this was early on. This is probably our second or third year at Skyline. And I happened to be there one day when the students were interviewing a woman who was, uh, had done some training in, uh, uh, Chinese uh, character, uh, I forget what it's called, the art, the, the way you create Chinese characters is a very specific technique for the brush strokes and everything, and she had trained under a master who was like the acknowledged person who was an expert in it, and so she came in and she said, you know, I'm going to be this uh, weekend, I'm going to be doing a thing at 9 o'clock in the morning at the University of Michigan Museum of Art on these Chinese brush stroke te- techniques, and she handed out a brochure to all of us. So I thought, well, this looks interesting, so I'll go. And it was, uh, again, 9 o'clock on a Saturday morning. I show up, and all of her students are there. Every student that she's working with is there, and their parents are there. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was in high school, the idea, the idea yeah. of showing up at 9 o'clock in the morning anyway. at a, a Chinese brushstroke technique was, would not on a Saturday would not be on my list of things to do. So I think it really spoke volumes about the fact, that, you know, how, about the connections that they were making with her. We've also had a, uh, a story where a man uh, who was in his 80s realized uh, he had had a wife and family and kids, and uh, he realized when after his wife passed away and when he was in his late 50s, early 60s, that he was gay and came out to his family and ended up, you know, he's now a, a openly gay man. And he talked about that experience with the students and it was just, it was really powerful. And, yeah, and the other one was an African-American preacher in Ann Arbor who his father had horribly abused him growing up. And when uh, he had saved, he had left home, he had saved his money to go to school, and he got word that his dad was suffering physically. So he took all this money that he had saved up and went back to care for his father. And it was just a, you know, a, a really amazing story of forgiveness and unconditional love. And my business partner was in the room for that interview, and he said everybody was crying. He, Mr. Slay was crying, Reverend Slay was crying, all the students were crying, and he said, I'd never have told anybody this story before. Wow. Now, it's interesting because a lot of your students uh, at some point will end up being caregivers for an aging parent or aunt or uncle. Well, that's that's actually one of the things that we have discovered in the process of doing, you know, both creating this and doing this, and that is one of, one of the things we heard, I don't know if this is true, but one of the things we had read at some point was that despite the, the fact that there are just the forecast for employment in senior care is expected to skyrocket over the years, largely because of baby boomers like me retiring, 
that a lot of gerontology programs at universities around colleges and universities around the country are closing for lack of students, lack of interest. And one of the things that we have found is that with the project is that these young people have such a, a, a change in attitude, literally a 180, on what it's like to deal with with seniors, and we really see it as a way to effectively recruit new students or new people to that workforce in the years to come. Interesting. Yeah, I could see it, it, the best part of this is it takes the fear away of being a yes. senior and of, of how yes, they yes. interact together and, you know, start that conversation so, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly, and I think, you know, we're, we kind of looked at, and part of the impetus for doing this in the first place is we were looking at what an age of society we are and that we, you know, there seems to be this, you know, um, Preoccupation with young viewers and young everybody that you know that the some the sort of societies that honor and revere and respect the wisdom of elders didn't seem to be us. So part of what we're trying to do is change that definition in some small way, and that's partly partly what led us to do what we're doing. Now, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9:30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Peaches Hall. We're talking with Jay Nelson with the Legacies Project, currently uh, up in Michigan, and uh, with plans to expand that program uh, beginning in September, a behind-the-scenes documentary. Uh, we'll begin taking a look at what the Legacy Project is all about. Uh, and, and, Jay, a- any thought of moving into San Antonio or uh, other parts of Texas? Well, actually, uh, a few years ago, we were having conversations with a woman who was in the curriculum of Houston Public Schools, and they were really interested in the project. It was actually a connection through a person we knew in Ann Arbor. And she, we had a number of discussions and email exchanges. And just as we were getting, the interest was kind of getting to the point where we were going to do something, uh, they went through a bunch of budget cuts. That was about the time that, you know, things were kind of falling off the table economically. So they just didn't have the money and they were cutting other programs and they couldn't, uh, they weren't in the position to be able to. Uh, add one for us. And actually, that reminds me, you know, Peaches, and the, the question you had, Peaches, about the students, what they're getting out of it. Uh, in that period, when we were doing things when, during the Great Recession, some, uh, many of the seniors that we had in were people that had lived through the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. And, you know, things were scary back then, and I think a lot of students were wondering what's going to happen. Maybe their parents were worried about their jobs or had been laid off, and mm-hmm. they were worried about what, what was going to, you know, their houses weren't worth, worth worth what they used to be. And I think the fact that they were able to sit down with these people who are now in their 80s to live through the Great Depression and somehow they made it through helped calm them down and made them realize that, okay, this is scary, but you you do get through these things because here are these people and they're in their 80s and they somehow survive it. So maybe this won't be, you know, I'll be able to survive it too. And and what about a different part of um, the the students? Like instead of going through high school, had you thought of going through the girls and boys clubs, kids that didn't have a whole lot of connection with, you know, adults or with family? Uh, We haven't so far, partly because we're a small nonprofit. And one of the things that we need is for a school to have a certain amount of video equipment, which thankfully is not very expensive these days. Mm -hmm. I have a $250 high-def video camera that takes fantastic pictures. So um, the the equipment's more affordable, which partly makes this, which is a huge reason actually for why we're able to do this now. In fact, you can shoot high-definition. You can shoot high def with an iPhone. A friend of mine who works oh, here for uh, Spectrum Cable News uh, shoots a lot of her stories with an iPhone. Wow. I know. It's fantastic. It's, I, I work with this gear all the time, and I'm still amazed by it. It's unbelievable. But yeah, it, and, and I think, too, Peaches, the whole thing about, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to go at this point. We're, I don't think we're ready to go into a situation that, where we might have not have the expertise to deal with that mm-hmm. population. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, when we first started uh, Legacies, one of the first times we did it was at a, when I was teaching a college class at the College for Creative Studies in Detroit. And it was a senior-level course, and we went into you know nursing homes, um, some kind of a nursing homes that are you know, not affluent. And some of the people were you know, dealing with some pretty severe issues, some mm-hmm. physical issues, and uh, while it was terrific and there were interesting experiences, we also realized that, you know, while we can do that, we have to pick and choose uh, when we're able to do that and what kind of students we can take into those kinds of facilities. Gotcha. So what's your hope and dream as you look down the road? And I want to find out from you about funding as well. Uh, you've got to uh, 
be able to underwrite a lot of what you're doing. Yep. Uh, well, we've been mainly doing it with uh, corporate and local corporation and individual money so far. Haven't gotten a lot of grant money, but we are still out there looking for it. And we're also uh, one of the things we talked to a an expert in nonprofit fundraising, and uh, he told us that one of the things that we have that a lot of other kind of similar groups don't have is that we have a strong what they call a fee for service model in that somebody like a Glacier Hills or a large retirement community could basically hire us or pay us to come in and interview members of their community, bring students in to interview members of their community, have it fully, be fully sponsored by them. We even had things where we've had this, the community screening in a, a senior retirement community in their auditorium or theater. Um, although now we're at the Michigan Theater in downtown Ann Arbor. So we're trying to do more with that model of uh, seeing if there might be people that, that would be interested in spreading you know, who are, might, might be wanting to target or provide services for either seniors or their, their kids who are then the parents or the, the students that we're training. So um, we're, we're also exploring how to do that best. Now, hold that thought. We're going to come right back to you. We're talking with Jay Nelson of the Legacies Project. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Peaches Hall, who is filling in today for Carol Zerniel. You're listening to us on 930 AM, The Answer. We are so pleased you are with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Peaches Hall, who is filling in for Carol Zerniel. We're talking with Jay Nelson. He and his uh, colleague, Jimmy Rhodes, co-founded the Legacies Project, a project that has begun at Skyline High School in Ann Arbor and a couple of other spots in Michigan and soon may begin expanding uh, out of Michigan and into neighboring states and elsewhere. It's a project in which high school and college students are trained in the use of video equipment and interviewing techniques and put together the stories of seniors who they may be interested in talking with. And some of these stories really will touch your heart when you pay attention to them. So, Jay, as you think about expanding, uh, is there a website that folks can go to and take a look at what you're doing? Absolutely. It's uh, legaciesproject, all one word, dot org. Uh, and if you go to that site, it's, by the way, we're still working on it, but um, the uh, if you go to that site in the upper right corner, there's a button that says archive. And if you click on that, that'll take you to the raw interview archives. But it's uh, actually they're hosted by our uh, partners, the Ann Arbor District Library, which is one of the top digital depart- library departments in the country. Uh, they're hosting our raw video, our raw interview archives, and then at the bottom of the page there's a, a link to our YouTube channel. And if you click on that, it will take you to all the stories that are up there, and some actually a few behind the stories, scene stories that we also shot and put up there as well, just some background information. That's pretty cool. And and of the stories that you have told, uh, you mentioned the one about a gentleman who had been uh, shot down over Italy and hidden away by. Uh, folks uh, to keep them away from the uh, Nazis. Uh, have you had other stories like that that just you know blow your mind when you think about what people live through? Yeah, it's it, it, it's amazing when you know when you scratch the surface, you start. I walk around now with a completely different awareness of when I see elderly people around me of what they might have been through. Uh, another one we had was a woman who's uh, I think in her mid nineties now, uh, still. I had to, I, she needed a ride, so I would pick her up every day to take her to the interviews, and she looks like she's 20 years younger. It's amazing. She's a force of nature. And she, as a young girl, she was involved. Um, her family was, she's Japanese-American, and she was, her family was interned, interned in the, uh, the Japanese camp, Japanese-American camps that were, uh, we had in World War II, particularly out west. So she talked about that experience, too, about how her family lost you know, their farm and uh, just the experience of, you know, having as a 16-year-old girl being picked up and uh, taken into that camp. It's just awful. Yes, it is. It is. And, you know, you, you talked a little earlier about fundraising. One thing I also wanted to mention on that is we know cost is a big thing for one of the things that I mean, being in public television for as long as I have. 
I'm very cost conscious. I mean, you, you work in public television, you know that they're not exactly lighting cigars with $100 bills. So uh, one of the things that we did when we started the Legacies Project was we adopted a train-the-trainers approach. So the initial years are the most expensive because we're training the teacher and how to use our materials, and um, we have a lot of materials we've developed, and teaching them how to go about doing what we do. And then as they their expertise grows, we recede, and we let them take over more and more and more of the instruction to the point where we're just kind of running a maintenance operation and kind of doing what we call the mothership stuff, where we're you know, up, up, uploading the videos to our YouTube channel and making sure they get posted to the advocacy library uh, site that's, that we co-host with us. And um, so as probably by about year three or four, this, uh, the teachers are pretty much able to take over almost completely from us and to the point where we can then just, you know, like I said, just check in and make sure everything's going, everything's going okay and then also, you know, intercede if there's any problems that we need to deal with. And if folks wanted to uh, get involved and donate money to help your project move on, you're a 501c3, I assume. We are, yep. So it's a tax-deductible contribution. It is, it is. We are a 501c3. As you take a look at this project, and uh, we began talking about the uh, uh, slight comparison to StoryCorps, the radio version, uh, this offers so much more in terms of the intergenerational involvement, uh, as well as uh, an opportunity for kids to learn so much about a generation that they may know nothing about. Well, it's interesting, too, because one of the things that we have discovered is a lot of these students, of course, they have grandparents who are the same age as the groups that they're interviewing, but I didn't have those kinds of conversations with my grandparents. It just didn't seem like I could sit down and ask them some of these questions. And so I think one of the things is they're having an appreciation, like you mentioned, for a generation. They're learning a lot more about their grandparents' generation than they probably learned from their own grandparents. And the other thing that kind of came out that was really surprised us at first, but the more we thought about it, it made sense, uh, but it seemed counterintuitive, is that when students, sometimes they would take our interview template and they would try and replicate what we were doing with their grandparents. And it didn't work. And one of the things we discovered is that people will often be more honest and, and, and candid with a complete strain. Well, but at this point, you know, a relationship is formed between the students and the interviewer. But they'll be more honest and candid with the students that are interviewing with legacies than they might be with their own grandchildren. And that's because, you know, you think about it, you know, did, did, if you did something that you weren't all that crazy about or you thought you didn't want your grandkids to emulate, you wouldn't tell them about it. You, right. know, you might kind of clean, clean up the story a little bit. So, mm-hmm. so, so they wouldn't, uh, you know, engage in the same behavior that looking back on it, you thought, I don't know if that was such a great thing to have done. So um, it, it didn't seem to make sense to us at first, but once, like I said, once we thought it through, it's like, eh, actually, I can see that. What's the biggest change you've seen in a student from beginning this process? And I'm sure at first they're a little closed and then they start asking questions, but is there a respect difference? Is it, uh, you know, it, what is it that you've seen? Yes, yeah, so definitely a respect and an appreciation. I mean, there, the, when we have the screening, one of the things, in fact, if you look on our uh, YouTube channel, the screening video that we shot at this last year's community screening, and by the way, we have students shoot that, so you'll see. Uh, you know, it's, it's not professional video. It, it, it's a nice-looking show, but it's uh, it's not uh, something that you're going to see on network television. But uh, there's a genuine affection between the students and the seniors. That the, the, the things that they they learn and the relationships that are formed. Uh, it, it's as many times as we've done it. You know, we get in the trenches and we're working on getting everything together and finding a new group of seniors and, you know, making sure everything's going how it's supposed to and raising money and you're involved with all that stuff. Uh, whenever we do it, it, it I, I, I look at it again and think, this is why we're doing it, because the, the payoff is so rewarding, the, the seeing what happens between these, these kids and these seniors. And we've had uh, situations where after the project was over, the seniors and the students continue to stay in touch with one oh, another. That's great. Because they, they had developed such a bond. But the other thing is, that, and this is kind of non-senior related, that kind of surprised us, uh, one, and it happened the first year at Skyline, 
One of the things that we do as part of our training is we teach interviewing techniques, which is, you know, when you're sitting across from somebody, active listening skills, looking them in the eye and nodding and, you know, showing that you're paying attention, you're hearing what they're saying, the things that, you know, a lot of us do naturally. And so we were talking to the teacher after the first few weeks and said, how's it going? She said, oh, it's great. And she said, my students have so much more confidence in their interpersonal communication. And we said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, this is a generation that's learning to, that's learned to communicate with their thumbs. Mm, they're texting yeah, and right. she said they don't they don't they don't know this as well they they need to be taught this and it's something that not only you know job you know people employers want but it's something the colleges look for it's it's those interpersonal relationship skills that because of the way younger people tend to communicate nowadays they don't develop the way that uh, we we all did when that was the, and better active, the main way of communicating yeah, better active listeners Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And we teach that. We, we teach how you need to look them in the eye, you need to pay attention, and we need to be nodding and, you know, and ask questions and show sympathy if something's difficult. And, you know, just to, teaching, I don't know, I don't want to say teaching empathy, but that's kind of what it is in some respects. Wow. Well, the guy who taught me talk radio, the late Jerry Knackman, who... Uh, Sidebar for lack of a colonoscopy, died of colon cancer. Uh, the thing he taught me uh, is really critical to what your kids are doing as well, and that's listening. You have to be able to yes. listen. Yes, yes. And, uh, and like I said, that was a complete surprise to us when the, when the teacher told us that. We hadn't even considered that as part of our project. But she has, in fact, confirmed with us. She said, this is just so valuable and teaching my, my students how to be how to do interpersonal face-to-face communications better. So the kids walk away from this having empathy and learning sympathy and better active listening and all these wonderful... What do the seniors walk away? How do, what did they learn well, from uh, this? One of the things we've, we've uh, realized, and this was early on in the research that we did, is that there's a tremendous uh, amount of satisfaction, even physical. It even shows up in physical measurements like blood pressure and heart rate and all the rest of that in um having your what's called life review a purge yeah having a having a chance to look back on your life and a lot of times these people are looking back on some of these instances in a way that they never really thought of before because they never nobody really asked them to look at it that way so i think often uh, arcs to their life become apparent that weren't apparent to them before, and that there's a, a lot of satisfaction in capturing these their experiences and their stories in a way that, that's going to live on. And what's really interesting, too, is, is and this is, was, again, was unexpected, one of the things I did this past year after the screening was over is I took my little $235 video, video camera out and shot interviews with all of the seniors and, all, and several of the students asking about the, what the experience was like for them. And uh, it gave me a chance to talk to the seniors and say, well, you know, if there was anything that you could change, you know, anything we could do better, what would it be? And almost to a person, they said, I would like to have another chance to meet with my students and kind of close that, you know, have another chance to, to sit down with them. Because overwhelmingly, they really appreciated this opportunity to be able to meet and get to know these students. That's cool. i got to stop you right here. We are flat out of time, and we could we could go on and on I and on, to know which I'd like to. What did you want to know? I wanted to know, were they surprised that they were interested? Did they think that nobody would think they were interesting? I think that was part of it, and too, I think a lot of them, because we we tend to live in silos, I think, you know, they, they don't have as much, some of them don't have much interaction with students of that age, and, and the school that we do at Skyline High School is a brand new high school, and for a lot of the seniors, it's a, you know, brand new high school in their community. This is the first time they ever walked in the doors of that school is when they came in for Sky, for uh, right. the Legacy Project. Jane Nelson, got to stop you right there. Thank you for this work and for the Legacy Project. Well, thank you. And legaciesproject.org. Take care, Jay. Good to talk with you, and we hope to talk with you again soon. For Carol Zerniel and Peaches Hall, who's filling in for Carol, this has been fun. Take 10 next on 930 AM The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. 
What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it, uh, with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But that. I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff, we come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 930 AM, The Answer. Well, here we are for Take 10. Each and every one of our Caregiver SOS on-air programs is followed by Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman, who joins us as a uh, internationally known psychologist, a man who has dealt with not only the issues involved in caregiving, but addictions as well, a psychotherapist of great note, and Peaches Hall, who is filling in for Carol Zernial today. Carol on special assignment. I'm Ron Aaron. You hear us at 9.30 a.m., The Answer. And, Jamie, we recently interviewed a young woman, a millennial, who talked about uh, the challenges she faced becoming her father's caregiver. And she said one of the things she realized about herself, uh, she was dealing with guilt every time she was motivated to talk to her coworkers or her friends or mention uh, the situation she was in as a caregiver, how bad off her dad was. She figured, I don't want to talk about that. He's so much worse off than I am. And then she felt guilty about it. How common is that? Ron, that's extremely common. And it's common across all generations of caregivers. You know, guilt is a is pandemic. It's actually associated, I think, with uh, caregiving in a, in a very kind of connected way. When I do lectures or talk or even my writings in my magazine, you've heard me say that guilt is correlated with self-esteem. Often the higher your self-esteem, the lower the guilt. And often higher the guilt, the lower the self-esteem. So they're like correlates. And nobody wants to speak about their, themselves and, and be the center of attention and, and to feel like they're, you know, the self-engrossed in the middle of all this. But this comes with the territory. And actually, you see long-distance caregivers suffering from it as bad as primary caregivers. The other thing, too, is when you hold that back and you're not able to talk about it, sometimes some anger builds up and then you're barking at the person you're caring for or resentful, and then even though they have a disability, they still sense it, they still feel it. So then there's friction between the two of you. You know, Peaches, you're, you're spot on. In fact, the most difficult part about caregiver guilt, but the challenge that we have to face is how do we accept this? How do we recognize that the feelings of basically inadequacy and guilt are normal? I mean, mm-hmm. this is a normalized feeling of caregiving. How do we allow ourselves to acknowledge these emotions and, and be able to process them? It's something that we've never done. I mean, let's face it, under 5% of this country ever seeks mental health treatment. And so they don't know their strengths and they don't know their weaknesses and they really don't know what lies underneath the iceberg. But acceptance is the antidote. It really is what we need to get to 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 be able to deal with this guilt. Well, in some socioeconomic groups, Hispanic being one, there is a reticence to seek mental health counseling as a sociological issue. Why is that? Well, you know... The diverse populations we deal with, um, you know, Anglos, Hispanics, African-Americans, Asian-Americans, you're right, has, has a entirely different characteristics associated with it. And reaching out, especially for um, the diverse population, the non-Anglos, if you will, is extraordinarily difficult. So what they've done basically is overcompensate in, in a very cool sort of way by developing an extended family sort of uh, orbit around the caree. Uh, in a way that, that Anglos have a lot to learn from. But once they do reach out, uh, Ron, once they do connect, that's the therapeutic bond, and it's up to the other party, if you will, to be there for them when they do connect. Interesting. You mentioned the family surrounding the individual. One thing you would rarely hear from an Anglo family, a friend of mine who is Vietnamese was talking about uh, how his mother was uh, going to be needing care and how he hoped very much that she chose 
him and his family, as opposed to his sister and his brother's family. They were competing to have the mother come live with them. Uh, you don't see that in a lot of Anglo families. No, no, you really don't. But that is also a challenge. You know, that to me is like recreation of the family of origin, the way we were raised. And that's what caregiving does. You know, if you're not getting mental health treatment, if you're not having a safe place to process this, all of a sudden the ghosts and goblins of the past, no matter what culture you're from, seems to come out. Right, and they become caregivers, and they're not skilled or trained or have the ability to do that. And maybe because they're the eldest or the middle or whatever it is that they are, that they get the family to take care of their take care of the mom and dad, and they're really not the best choice. Now, if you just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air's Take 10 on 930 AM. The Answer, Dr. Jamie Heisman with us. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Peaches Hall, who is filling in for Carol Zerniel. And, Jamie, I want to throw one other fact out to you today to react to. Uh, our guest, who talked about guilt and talked about uh, how she was uh, concerned about, well, she's not as bad off as her dad. She shouldn't be concerned in talking about it. She said something else, which was she didn't share with her coworkers her father's situation, which was really pretty desperate because he was a very proud and private man and she didn't want to demean him in any way. So she really kept the seriousness of what she was dealing with uh, under wraps. Isn't that interesting? I often call that a clinical projection because at some point in time, being honest about the medical condition somebody you're taking care of has means that you're also going to be honest about reaching out and getting the proper sort of support groups you know, much about that, Ron, is about ourselves and our ability to reconcile mental health issues, vulnerability, you know, uh, and, and really getting in touch with our own feelings. Maybe she does have a father who is like that, but it's compounded. It's compounded by the way we perceive ourselves. She wrote in an article, for example, in Cosmopolitan Magazine, how folks would notice every once in a while she was uh, buying bibs to mail to him. She was in Los Angeles. He was on the East Coast. And they commented about, oh, there must be a you know small child in the family. And she wouldn't explain that the disease he had, it was a form of Parkinson's, uh, meant that he drooled a lot. And so a bib kept his clothing clean. Uh, she was embarrassed by that. You know, I'm sure Peaches will confirm this. But when you're talking Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or Lewy body or actually mental health, challenges you're talking about stigma you're talking about shame i think people talk more about cancer and kidney and endocrinology and the things that are actually medical below the neck and they have a very very difficult time getting in touch with the neurological or the psychiatric issues Amen. for some reason that's been the taboo of our culture yeah the the worst thing i i can remember is a family was so embarrassed because the mother would revert back to using profanity and they were oh you know that was just horrible for him or another one who would wear his shirt backwards or wear his underwear on top of his pants or you know what all those things were not what their father was and they were still holding on to the other part and not just loving and embracing what was happening you know just but you had talked about the memory unit that, that you were managing uh, where some of your uh, guests would put their underwear on the outside. Mm -hmm. You embraced that. Superman wore his underpants That's on the exactly outside. Right. That's exactly right. Sometimes they'd try to put their socks over their shoes, and, you know, we'd take pictures and send it to the family and say, you know, some days they're just like that. You know, and the, and the families wanted to enjoy and understand and know that no matter how quirky – the things were that their loved one was doing, we were accepting it, not making fun of it, going, joining the journey, you know. But, Jamie, so why do we get embarrassed by that if it's our loved one? Because we actually don't talk about it, Ron. We don't share our experiences because it's just been ingrained in us that this is a, a mental health issue and we don't air, quote-unquote, our dirty laundry out there. But if you will, you find out that it's just like any medical ailment out there, then you can share. And the more you do share, you know, and, and in reference to what Peaches says, the more you realize that there's episodic psychiatric outbursts in latter-stage Alzheimer's, or you do know that people will put on their clothing wrong, and it becomes more normalized. And I think the more we actually enter, a caregiver can enter a support group setting, which I think is the most vital thing for them to come out of their own guilt, their own shame, be able to reconcile, to be able to accept, and really focus on love, if you will, not necessarily duty, is to talk to other people, to hear their stories. And then it starts 
kind of rolling off our tongues, and we practice this, and we find out it's not so bad to communicate. In fact, it's pretty therapeutic. Yeah, and they're going through enough anyway. Who cares which way their shirt's on? Well, but it's funny. Both Jamie and I have young children. He's got a little daughter. I've got uh, twin boys who are four and a little girl who's five. When Carter, who is heavy into costumes, comes down wearing his underpants outside his pants, we think it's cute as can be because he's being Superman, right? Mm -hmm. We embrace that. Mm -hmm. But when Grandpa would do that... But he's not in a restaurant. He's in an environment that's safe. And you just don't... That's so so much stress to put on them. Yeah, and the latitude we give children, Ron, is wonderful. You know, they're naive. They've not been spoiled yet. They've not been indoctrinated to the taboos, quote-unquote, of our culture. I think that's the beauty of the child. Once we get to be caregivers or once we get to take care of our loved ones, all of a sudden these social norms and values kind of penetrate, and we realize, you know, adulthood is is a lot of challenges, and if you will, in in my language, Suris and Mishigash, Mishigash, because... What happens is we take the shame, we take the stigma mm. of society, and we get quiet and we repress it. You know, once in a while you meet a family that really gets it. And I had a family that would come and visit their dad, and it, he would go into shop in another person's closet and took a giant pink fuzzy sweater, and I had to take it away from him. And the family bought him one. You know, how nice was that? We're going to stop right here flat out of time. Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman. Peach us all, Ron Aaron on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikhoff. We come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 930 a.m. The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.